0: I'm Dean Elliott, and we're grateful, as I said, to be with you all this evening uh, as we continue to work in our 46th year of marriage. Um, some of this feels like ancient history, and some of it feels like just yesterday afternoon. But whether you've been married for four years or 44, the challenges that we faced are the same as yours. My early life was a series of contrasts in a dysfunctional family uh, that loved me and they oriented me to servant leadership. But it was underprivileged in that it wasn't modeled for me. I never saw it that way. Instead, my early years were, was a process of self-discovery through activities and achievement through school, athletics, church, scouting. For instance, When I first accepted Christ as a junior high kid and was baptized at 13, it was without any input or consult from my folks. Isn't it amazing how we make decisions and learn to cope at early ages? And it carries forward as we move into our adult years. Little did I know how insidious these family of origin issues and factors would contribute to my next 40 years. Uh, life continued, and with it uh, came an appointment to the Naval Academy and the opportunity to serve my nation in Vietnam and to experience life in a wholly different way than that which I had uh, grown. I didn't intend to look back, but on um, Christmas Eve, my plea beer at Navy, I had a blind date with a gal that would change my life.
1: Uh, that
0: would be me. Yes, <laughs> Hi, I'm Roddy. She thinks it's that
1: way. (laughs) Well, I thought it was anyway when we wrote the story. Okay, I'm Roddy. Uh, My parents were also a product of the depression. They loved me and they did their very best to see that I had a good life. But my life was full of contradictions part grandiosity and part self doubt. My dad's alcoholism was the elephant in the middle of the room that was never addressed. Yet I witnessed the effects of his alcoholism, the damage it wreaked on my mother and dad's marriage and how it impacted me and my sister. It was the center of the contradiction. Because of my mother's controlling nature and my father's passivity, I really did not have any sense of myself, Uh, not a shred. I was a pleaser. Uh, And my sense of self was defined by what other people thought about me. On the outside, I looked like a gal who had everything together. On the inside, I was a scared little girl just trying to make it all look good. On Christmas of my junior year of college, this handsome guy entered the picture bigger than life. We had a crazy courtship more off than on over the next four-year period while he was at the academy. And when our relationship was off, I thought Dee was an arrogant, horses, and you fill in the blank. (laughs)
0: The word was patoot. She took it out. I
1: did. I thought maybe it it would, you know, it it would sort of tell our age. This this
0: filming is PG rated, (laughs) buddy. With her in college in Kansas City and me in Annapolis, Maryland, we saw each other maybe a total of 15 days over the next six months before we broke up. Uh, But 18 months later, she simply couldn't resist an invitation to come to Philadelphia for an Army-Navy football game.
1: Yes. After two years of not talking to each other, he called to ask me to the Army-Navy game while he was on a date with another girl. (laughs) I mean, he left her standing. It It was in Baltimore.
0: No, Philadelphia. Philadelphia, I always
1: get that wrong. Yes, he, he left her standing in a foot of snow and, uh, and cold to call me from a phone booth. I was out, so my dad answered the phone and took the message to pass along the invitation. When I got home from my date, my dad told me Dee had called and asked uh, him to invite me to the Army-Navy game in November. <laughs> Against my better judgment, I went anyway, not knowing what to expect other than it was going to be cold. But the courtship began, and at the time it seemed perfect. Oh, 18 months later, we were married, having spent fewer than two months together, stretched over four years. Oh. Oh. So now we're married, like I haven't told this story before. I moved away from home for the first time, and the whirlwind continued as he basically left me alone over the next four years, deploying back and forth to Vietnam. I was six months pregnant with our first son the last time he left. We were adult children of alcoholics, blinded by love and clueless about what it took to be married. The prince had married the princess, but almost immediately our hurts, habits, and hang-ups combined to reveal themselves all too quickly. We were on a collision course to trouble and still didn't have a clue as how it was supposed to look.
0: So six years after this, uh, after we got married, I resigned my commission and we moved to Washington, D.C. Roddy wanted us to move to Dallas, but uh, her allegiances were split between her family and me. And the resentments were huge on both of our parts. James says a dual-minded man or person is unstable in his ways. And that pretty much described us. By this time, we were in really serious trouble to the point that we considered and discussed possibly an open marriage, uh, possibly, uh, well... (laughs) That conversation he's, didn't go very well. He's,
1: oh, he is making all of this up. I mean, I cannot believe you're just coming up with these things. We're being filmed. Okay. With the move to Washington, I very quickly began to lose myself even more. With one child, I was staying at home while detransitioned to civilian life. And try as I would, I could not make things work. Especially for him. On Friday evenings, we attended prayer meetings at Georgetown University with some friends. Actually, the only people we knew. I didn't recognize God's hand in this at the time. But while attending Georgetown, I became infatuated with a guy on the music team. And divorce was looming like a big cloud. Many years later, I understood that I was lonely and not feeling loved. My sense of grandiosity had kicked in, and I wasn't feeling appreciated or valued. I was looking for D to satisfy my needs, which was a joke. It wasn't his job, and he certainly wasn't getting his needs met by me. You know, the old happiness and holiness. We didn't know even know how to identify our needs, and this is critical, much less how to communicate them to each other.
0: So I'll admit I was a bit self-absorbed. And I'll admit I was prone to dominate and manipulate Roddy, usually through verbal brute force. The marriage was so bad I was simply ready to cut my losses. But through the seeds of Scripture from childhood, I knew that God hates divorce. And I also loved our first son, who had been born while I was deployed, I loved him so much that I couldn't bear the thought of him thinking of me as a quitter. So we tried everything we could think of, but continued with crazy behaviors, doing only what we knew to do as young 28-year-old married folks. One, None of us can do otherwise, only what we know. And so the need for a a process and a ministry like ReEngage to study, understand, and work diligently to know Jesus is the true center of our life. With that comes new behavior centered on grace. Then God revealed a couple of key things during this mess, and it was a hot one, Susan. One, we sought godly counsel, uh, not of the world, but from a godly man who led us deliberately with Scripture and with truth. And he taught me from Ephesians 5. That I am to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And that constitutes dying for it every day. A second God thing, some thirty years later, and long after the Georgetown affair had ended, we we and, and, and quite frankly had faded, we made an important second realization with the reengaged chapter on forgiveness. One of the outline myths is forgiveness requires forgetting. We know that God forgets and he casts our sin as far as the east is from west. But as humans, we still remember. It's in our DNA to remember. And forgetting is just a myth. Recognizing that it's usually about bruised pride, healing for us occurred when the violations that we discussed a moment ago became unimportant. I can still remember it from 40 years ago but it isn't important today because the pain of remembering was replaced with a transformed pair of hearts and a healed relationship when trust was its replacement and there was no place for bitterness or resentment, not forgetting the grievance, but when it was no longer important in our marriage or in any other relationship.
1: As this healing continued it became clear that the Lord was finally leading us to Dallas to be near family, but with a much healthier understanding and the tools to manage the influences and challenges of living near domineering and dysfunctional parents, whom I adored.
0: So for the next several years after moving to Dallas, I worked diligently and built a business and worshipped the idol of success. But I also sought godly counsel and had conflict in that. But I sought the godly counsel and I sought mentorship from a wonderful man. We met every Tuesday morning for two years at six o'clock in the morning and memorized scripture and talked about life and really got into the word. It was a beautiful time. But as a dog returns to his vomit, I regressed. And I forgot Peter's admonition in second chapter five and eight when he says that my adversary, my adversary the devil is prowling and looking like like a roaring lion looking to devour me. With the material success of a very robust business, my old friends, and I stress it, my old friends' pride, arrogance, and self-absorbed self-reliance moved back in, took control of my heart, and I manifested self-destructive ways, principally by seeking my own counsel. I did what I knew to do, which was manage, manage my image and try to be involved in ministry. Image management 101. But being rejected in ministry, my spirit was drying up. And as David wrote, as as David wrote rather in Psalm 22. In retrospect, I believe God was using this rejection as a beginning of taking me to my knees. In the chaos that followed, we struggle with family addictions and drug problems And began a long process of recovery, making decisions that I never dreamed we would ever even have to consider.
1: In recovery, uh, I attended Al-Anon sanctioned meetings twice a week, where I began to feel like it was where I belonged. At that time, we did not have uh, Regen or Celebrate Recovery. I found myself with people who were struggling with the same childhood issues as me. This was before Watermark. Uh, for once in my life, I felt safe, and I felt like I could get, be me and that those people in those rooms understood me. I, stayed in a tw- I was a slow learner. I stayed in a 12-step recovery program for 13 years, and God used the program and a wonderful woman who became my sponsor to turn my life towards him. God performed a miracle in my life, and I will forever be grateful. I no longer was codependent allowing my adolescent child to have control over me. I started becoming the woman God wanted me to be, but it's a continuing process. By learning who I was and how to accept God's love, I began appreciating and loving myself and accepting who I was in God. That, in turn, allowed me to let go of my fears and start loving others, just as God would have me to do. I began to set healthy boundaries around D, and I turned the job of changing him over to God. And I prayed a lot.
0: She did. But as the storm clouds abated in our family, my companies uh, came under attack, and I reverted to survival mode, alone and without community, trusting no one, and believing that no one could either understand or, or care to understand. My tower of Babel was about to fall. The worse it got, the more I isolated. I violated my early training. Two is one and one is none. And the very counsel of Ecclesiastes four, woe to the man that falls and doesn't have a brother to pick him up? With absolutely no community, sense of transparency, or accountability, I struggled to maintain my identity, my image, my self-esteem, and financial well-being. I trusted no one, and again I say, no one offered. Slowly at first, and then at a very fast pace, and certainly not very gently, God continued to strip me. And about this time in 2002, we began attending Watermark at the high school. I can't remember a thing that Todd taught during those those many months of being at the high school. But I can remember and recall the impact and recognized it as the Holy Spirit grabbing hold of my heart. As I yielded, he began to transform me. The darkest days were yet to come, but I stood on the claim that I was being held in God's very right hand. Scripture came alive to me again, and while I hated what was happening and with my financial net worth evaporating. I had to reconcile that God was in control just as he promised. As believers were called in Romans 8 to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be called, to be justified, glorified, and with it comes sanctification. That's a painful and sometimes lonely process. I also learned once again never to doubt in the dark the decisions I made in the light. One key event was the afternoon I sat with Roddy and acknowledged I was helpless with no answers and had surrendered to the Lord. He had me fully on my knees and was preparing me for what was still to come. I realized then that surrendering, however, to the Lord is not the same as losing. Instead, it is a claim on victory. It's a dichotomy in human terms, but it's the essential contrast with common sense. I've since learned to pursue biblical uh, understanding, not that which is common to man and trust not in my own understanding. I love Jeremiah and in chapter six, he tells us, he says, you're standing at the crossroads. So consider your path. Ask where the old reliable paths are. Ask where the path is that leads to blessing and follow it. If you do, you'll find rest for your soul. How wonderful is that? So simply said, trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. And so I committed that very day to, to pray with Roddy every single day. And I asked her to join me in seeking God's will and that old, reliable path that, was, that would lead us to blessing. This daily prayer changed our life slowly and entirely. And so I challenge each of you men to pray with your wife daily every single one of you guys to pray with your wife daily, however awkward it may be. And wives, I encourage you that if he won't initiate it, then you do it. But the most important and remarkable things will begin to happen if you're obedient in this one very simple idea.
1: So, we chose truth and the literal conclusion that because the Lord is in control as He says He is in Philippians 4, we have nothing to worry about. Because of this, we can see almost everything with a lighter spirit. Specifically, we can laugh at ourselves more and at the crazy stuff in our marriage that used to drive us absolutely nuts.
0: The Lord is Lord of our relationship. Jesus has healed our marriage and our relationships with our sons, and he stands ready to accept yours as the next victory. The depth of our depravity doesn't shock him. There's no violation or problem too big or too dark or too ugly or too socially irresponsible and unacceptable. And I'm grateful that the body of Christ here at Watermark is fully engaged in delivering the love of Christ daily in so many ministries of life and recovery And especially in those in marriages.
1: Like you, my life is a work in progress, equipping me to serve the Lord. My role is a wife, a mother, a mentor, a friend, a teacher, and a leader. I often tell people that I can't remember, and this is the absolute truth. I often tell people that I cannot remember one day that I have not had to work on my marriage. Daily, I have to die to myself. Daily. Not an easy thing for an insecure, entitled princess. But Jesus is at the very hub of our marriage, and D and I are the spokes. We part daily, he doing his thing, me doing mine, but praying together daily and being open to the Holy Spirit's leading. My encouragement to you is to never give up. At one point in my ma- marriage, I had a choice to move with. Uh, D or call it quits and just move back to my family our marriage was stressed to the max and we were in we were miserable the Holy Spirit informed me from Jeremiah 29 but what if you don't try what if my plan is to prosper you so I encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit as he communicates his truth pray and work on it and wait on the Lord to transform you, your spouse and your marriage I am so blessed to be sharing my life (laughs) thank you honey
0: say it again Ronnie
1: thank you honey no
0: no by being blessed Oh,
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I am so blessed to be sharing life with the love of my life. I have a marriage I never knew would, could or would exist. God has restored what the locusts ate, as Joel wrote in chapter 2. The most important thing I want to share with you guys, we said and did a lot of hurtful things to each other, but Jesus never stopped loving and pursuing us. Trust him to heal your marriage wherever it's at. Become a prayer warrior with and for your spouse, even if you don't like him. And your marriage, no matter how you are feeling, he wants your marriage to work. And just as he healed our hearts and our marriage, he will heal yours if you allow
0: him to. What if you don't try? And what if this prevents the healing and the reconciliation and the victory that should be yours? Will your children know the blessing of your relationship with Jesus? Or will they just simply know you as quitters? What if we quit? We'd have missed the joy and the blessing of raising a family to know the Lord. And we would have missed the enormous blessing that comes with loving on grandchildren. All of it together. Success in our marriage requires commitment, transparency, and accountability. And we welcome the Holy Spirit to move, to shake, tend to, and heal broken hearts and dreams. Uh, I trust that somewhere in here in this story are a few nuggets of truth for you to take away and consider. Your backgrounds, your families of origin, your circumstances, methods of processing are different from ours. We know that, and your issues may seem unique, but there's nothing unique about it. We're sinners, full of ourselves, proud, arrogant, and selfish. We need a Savior that can put a salve on our hearts and heal these relationships. There's no valid alternative. There's no worthy alternative. There's no alternative to sanctification, to become more Christ-like. And finally, there's no substitute for a Christ-centered Vibrant relationship and a loving, productive, blessed ministry called marriage. And to the men here, I I absolutely encourage and, and stress, you simply must pray with your gals every single day. We claim and we pray for your victory in this adventure. We know it can happen. We know it can be yours. And then it'll be your testimony to God's unfailing, steadfast, Enduring, unconditional love. We we pray blessings on each one of you and thanks for letting us share tonight.